You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Chatters Box, and today is my privilege to have the Hall of Famer, Whitey Herzog with us, and the reason I'm so excited about Whitey, I've had the privilege of being around Whitey for so many years and heard so many of your stories and great conversations, and I'm excited to bring that to the fans, and and, and our hope is uh, you're going to get a taste of what it's like sitting with Whitey in the locker room or at lunch and, and just talking ball, and uh, so Whitey, I am so glad that you have stepped into the Chatters Box and been a part of this. How you doing? Well, I'm doing good, Kyle. Whitey is 91 years old, and um, Whitey, anytime I get around you, whether it's you know fantasy camp, seeing at the ballpark, I just love just sitting down and, and soaking it in and hearing the stories. You know, I grew up here in St. Louis, a huge Cardinals fan, and so you know, I grew up. I was born in '84, so I grew up, you know, watching the the, the late '80s, really yeah, becoming right. a Cardinal fan into the '90s. But I want to talk about your time. You know, obviously here in St. Louis. So <clears throat> what I've learned. Um, and and just paying attention to the way that your former players talk about you and the stories and the things they want to talk about. What's really stood out to me, and I want you to talk about, when you came to St. Louis in 1980, everybody talks about how you constructed a team that was built specifically for Bush Stadium. Can uh-huh. you talk about that a little bit and what went into that? Yes, when I came here, in June of 1980, I'd been fired to Kansas City after 79 season. Uh, we set a attendance record that I'd finished three games out after winning three divisions three years in a row. I didn't get along with the owner, and uh, uh, we got into a big argument because when I first got there in July of 75, uh, um, they were worried about drawing a million people, and... Uh, I said to Mr. Burke, who hired me, he was my general manager in Texas after I got fired there in uh, in 63, I think it was. But anyway, I I got to St. Louis not knowing anything about the National League. I spent all my time. I was a very mediocre ball player. I was what you'd call a hanger-on for eight years, a fringe player. I often got a kick out of... Mr. Roland, who I want to congratulate about the Hall of Fame, because he got upset because Tony didn't tell him he wasn't in the lineup. Well, I didn't worry about that when I played. I worried about coming to the ballpark to make sure I had a locker. <laughs> and I had told him that one time. That's the only time I've ever seen him laugh. <laughs> but I'm so happy for him. Yeah. But anyway, I got to St. Louis, and... Um, I was down at Buddy Blattner speaking at a dinner, golf dinner, and uh, Mr. Sussman uh, called and to my son in Kansas City at the time. He was the only one at home. I came to St. Louis after the dinner. I left uh, down there about 12 o'clock. I got in at 3 o'clock. We checked in under an assumed name in St. Charles, and my wife said she felt like a prostitute checking in at a motel at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> then they picked me up at 7, and we went out to Grant's Farm. And uh, 
So I met Gus. I had met Gussie before, but he didn't remember that. And uh, Sussman was there and his third wife, Margaret, was there. And um, we talked, and uh, at the time, they were in last place. They had three of the top ten salaries in baseball in Hernandez and Templeton and Simmons. They were all making 671000 a year, and we were in last place. So we had three of the top ten salaries. So anyway, I talked to Bush, and uh, we were talking— and Sussman was the instigator. He was the guy that, you know, it was a little tough because Sussman says our, our, all our life we've never hired a manager for over one year. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, I, I, I'm just, we'll just skip it because I'm never going to accept a one-year contract mm-hmm. again because I just went through this in Kansas City. And I said, if some player don't like you, and the player likes him, the manager's the guy that's going to get the ax. And I said, we set four attendance records. I got, but what made Coffin mad at me, I said to Joe Burke, the day I signed my contract, if we draw $2 million, will you give me a $50,000 bonus? And he said, yeah, I should ask for more. <laughs> but anyway, that made Coffin mad. And every time he'd have a few drinks and I'd stop in the press room with Galen Sisko or my coaches or something, he'd throw it up to me. You don't deserve that money. I said, well, what are you worried about? When I come here, you couldn't draw a million. Now we're drawing two million. Well, he had that crawl, and he'd throw it up every time, and I'd, I would talk back to him. And I knew the first time I didn't win, I was gone. Mm-hmm. I knew that from day one. And he had Pat uh, McGinn before me. And to be honest about it, he used to go out to Marion Lab and have lunch with Mr. Kaufman or an ice cream cone and so forth. And I wasn't a lunch guy. I'd go fishing in the morning. I'd come home, uh, swim a few laps, jump in the shower, take a nap, get up at 1, be at the ballpark at 2.30. So the lineup would be posted at 3 o'clock. And... Uh, uh, so anyway, I, I was going out the door, and I had refused uh, the job. I just said, I'm not going to work. And Gussie, I got to the door, and Gussie said, come back here. And he said, I, you know what? You're right. The players are signing five-year contracts, and you deserve more than one. And he said, I'll sign you to a three-year contract, and he said, you'll never get in the last year of your contract. And he was true to his word. And uh, it was ironic. I uh, was here. We opened up. I, my first game I managed was in Atlanta. And um, we won that game, and uh, Simmons got four hits that night. And I could see right then and there we didn't have much of a bullpen, you know. It was pretty pretty bad. And uh, then from there we went to Chicago on a Thursday afternoon. We're last in our division, and the Cubs are fifth, and the place is packed. And I said to Shandy, I said, what's going on here? He, well, he said, this is the Cardinals and Cubs rivalry. But most of those guys would come up like if there was a four-game series, all the lights, the lights weren't up yet. And uh, 
they'd come out that first game Thursday and then they'd get gambling and play poker and they'd never see the ballpark again. But they came up for four days, you know. And uh, about we come home and um, I don't remember who we opened up with at home, but anyway, I was out in center field and one of the ushers came out. I was talking to one of the ball players. And he said, uh, the chief wants to see you up in his office. So I said, okay. So I went up to the office, and uh, he's there. Yeah, he's a red jacket on, his 10-gallon hat. And <laughs> he said, what have I got? Just like that. And I said, Gussie, I said, I want to be honest. I can be with you. You got a bunch of over paid players, and you're never going to win here in this ballpark, the way the ballpark is constituted. I said, we got no speed. We got a good hitting club. We got some good young players. But I said, every year since you moved in here in 1966 in Bush 2, we finished 11th, except one year with Richie, the guy we got from Philadelphia, the third baseman, we finished 11th. Otherwise, we're 12th every year in home runs. And he said, well, Gussie said, what do you want to do about it? I said, I want to tear it apart, and I want to build a ball club with speed. Because speed's the only thing you can use offensively and defensively, and especially in this ballpark. We can neutralize the speed, and if we play like I want to play, and start getting some switch hitters in the lineup and so forth, I said, I think we can put a good ball club on the field. You know what he said? Do it. So I went to the winter meetings, and the winter meetings were in Dallas. And um, I had the deal made with San Diego for Fingers and Chart, and we, they wanted Kennedy. Well, I had signed Porter as a free agent now. That was quite a situation. I didn't want to lose Teddy because if we'd had the DH, Teddy would have been my cleanup hitter, my second string catcher, and died a cardinal, believe me, because mm -hmm. he could hit. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Fingers was there getting his Rolays award. And all of a sudden, I talked to Kennedy, and he had to get rid of Souter because his agents asked for too much money. And uh, so I traded and made the deal for Suter. So now I got Fingers and Suter. And I had Fingers in the Kansas City organization as a young pitcher. And he was, he was a long-time reliever and damn good one. About 14 years he pitched relief mm -hmm. as a short man and good. So anyway, I said, Raleigh, I got to ask you a question. Bases are loaded, ninth inning. Winning run on second, left-hand hitter. If I take you out to bring in Suter with his split finger, would you be mad? Oh, yeah, he said, that's my man. I got I said, well, I got to be honest with you. I'm not getting into that, so I'm going to trade you. So I had a deal with Gussie when I signed, and of course August the 4th, that if I signed a high-salary player, I had to get rid of a high salary player. I had to stay within $500 a year of the budget, up over or under, but that's where I was at. Well, now I got Finger and I got Suter. And uh, I called Suter after we made the deal. 
talked to Brown, uh, Browner and Goholi, who were his agents, and we set up a date. And he's coming to St. Louis on Tuesday, and I told Sussman, I said, when Souter comes here, I am negotiating the contract. I want you to keep your mouth shut, <laughs> just like that, to lose Sussman. Because he was not a very pleasant guy. He's, uh, Bing Devine probably said the best thing. He's the kind of guy that can fire you at 10 o'clock in the morning and send your wives a bouquet of flowers at noon, saying how sorry he is. <laughs> But he was trying to fire somebody all the time. Mm -hmm. The front office was in turmoil, believe me. He wanted to get rid of McShane. He wanted to get rid of the Toomey. He wanted, it was just no end to it. And to this day, I've kept all the letters he sent me with Gussie's signature that I knew he wrote because Gussie didn't use them big <laughs> words that he was using. <laughs> so anyway, it was kind of a funny deal. And... Uh, so I said, uh, I, I just said, Raleigh, I've known you a long time. Longevity-wise, you've probably been as good as anybody, pitching as well as you have for so many years at Oakland and so forth. But I said, I just don't want to get into that because I am going to bring in certain guys because of the split finger. They know it's coming. They can't hit it. He's the most dominant relief pitcher I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of good relief pitchers, Gossage, uh, uh, the guy, big guy at Boston that could throw and so forth, Norleski, Mossy, guys like that. So anyway, we made that deal. Then we made the uh, two deals, and I said to uh, Lee Thomas, who was, uh, was Kissel in the minor league department, and I wanted Lee to be into baseball instead of the traveling secretary, and uh, I said, you know what? Ted come to me, and uh, he don't want to play first base or left field. And uh, I can understand that. And he wants to be traded. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to try to oblige him. But I said, I think the Mark League clubs was a DH. And if they got a catcher, they want him as a second-string catcher. And so, boy, it would be a perfect guy. I, and there wasn't much interest in Teddy. He only had two clubs, Oakland and Milwaukee. And after we made the deal with the Cubs and we gave him a Durham, uh, a good young prospect, I wanted to get a young player. And i never seen him play, but all of our scouts were raving about David Green. Best player in the minors, Nicaragua guy, playing golf. Essex couldn't go home in the wintertime to his family because he put him in the army. He was a Sandinista. And anyway, it took Milwaukee seven days when I offered him Vukovic, Fingers, and Simmons. Now, that's a hell of a deal. That's a catcher, a short man, and a, the guy got the sight young, uh, Vukovic. And I said to Harry Dalton, who was my farm director when I was with the Baltimore Orioles as a player and a good friend, I worked for him with Bobby Winkles when I got fired in Texas, coach of the year. And uh, I said, Harry, you want to win a pennant? Here's the three guys. If you give me David Green in a deal, I'll make the deal. Seven days later, they still didn't want to give up David Green. And then finally, they had a big argument. Scarborough, the race Scarborough, their top Scott, Dalton, 
and Waller Shannon and all these people, they agreed to make the deal. Well, when I came to spring training and we had David Green, and the first time we played the Mets in spring training because we were at Miller Huggensfield and they were at Outlaying, uh, or vice versa, I was with the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing David Green and Strawberry, two specimens, two guys with bodies and ability that both should have been a great Hall of Famers. And all of a sudden, I find out that David's having problems. Uh, he's a lot older than his baseball age. Uh, he uh, was having some personal problems with drugs. A lot of that wasn't his fault. But here's a 21-year-old kid that couldn't go home. Mm-hmm. And he had to stay in Mexico over winter. And t- I'm not making excuses for him. But David never worked out like he should have because of problems and all of a sudden, I guess, Strawberry has really straightened his life out. He's talking to kids now. He's doing a good job. i got a, really a good relationship. He lives out in St. Yeah. Charles. But these are the things that got screwed up a little bit. So anyway, we make that deal. So now we've traded 14 ballplayers to get Levin. <laughs> All in one offseason. Yeah. just You imagine day, doing that in, in today's? Days. I mean, the, the writers love me. I had three major <laughs> trades. And I'm announcing the trade every hour, you know. <laughs> they ain't been that busy in their yeah, life, you yeah. know. So anyway, everybody said I was crazy because I got rid of too much, but we couldn't run. And we would get 10 to 12 hits, good hitting lineup. You know, we had Hernandez, we had Simmons, and her was not coming, and we had uh, Templeton, who had 100 hits from both sides of the plate. And But we couldn't score. We'd get 12 hits and two runs every night. We just, we couldn't get 12 hits and 12 runs. We couldn't manufacture nothing. Nobody's tried to hit the ball, advanced runners, and so forth. So anyway, we, that was 1981. And... And then we had a day here in St. Louis, Ladies' Day. And I was I made the statement during the winter the only untouchable was Templeton, because that's how much ability he had. And uh, it's something that I, I, I didn't want to trade Gary Templeton, but he strikes out on a 3-2 pitch. Really bad. And the fans booed him. Stands out in front of the stands and and gives a number one to the fans and so forth. And him and I, I grabbed him and threw him in the dugout. And, but in the meantime, we went to San Diego the next day to open a West Coast trip. And Gussie calls. I'm at the weather playing the golf tournament this week. La Costa on an off day. We play Tuesday night. And uh, he said, wanted me to release Templeton. I said, Gussie, please let me handle this. I said, you know, you lost Carlton over $4,000. He's on the way to the ballpark to sign a contract. And because you wouldn't give him that $4,000, he went to Philly for Rick Wise. And Rick Wise was a good pitcher, but he was no Carlton, you know. So I said, I'll make a deal with you. I will not have him on the club next year. 
But I, I will definitely release him before the season starts. And I was wearing both hats. I had mm-hmm. become the general manager and the manager. But I said, I promise you, he won't be on the team next year. Well, I was going to try to trade him. Because I'm not going to. I said, Gussie, I'll release him if I can. The four, the four shortstops that I asked for was D. Jesus, Burleson, the guy at Detroit. Burleson was at Boston. Oh, an Aussie. I got a no on all of them. Zip. I said, oh, boy. So what I did, I knew that Davey Johnson didn't like Okendo. And Ozzy was having some rotor cuff problems, and I was worried about him being able to throw from shortstop. So I signed Okendo because I knew, and I found out that he had a shortstop by the name of Sanchez played for him at winter ball, and he loved him. I called Bill Verdon, who managed him, and he said, yeah, so I made the trade. I was going to, we were going to draft a relief pitcher from Jeff City. But we changed it, and they ordered us a player in the supplementary draft the way it was. And we got Sanchez, and I got Okendo for Sanchez, who turned out to be like, if I have to relieve Templeton and I can't make a deal, he's going to be my shortstop. He was a pure infielder. Didn't hit but about 190, but he, he made himself a pretty good on-base guy too. So anyway, that was the end of the winter meetings. That's the way the season started, and the trouble started and so forth. And You know, when I look back at 1981, we had the best record in the division. Uh, we got screwed in the, they uh, split the, we, we won the overall division by three and a half games. Cincinnati won the Western division by six and a half games, and neither one of us got in the playoffs because we finished a half a game behind Philadelphia in the first half because we played one less game. And then we finished a half a game behind Montreal in in the second half, so we didn't get in. Cincinnati, with Johnny McNamara and the acquisition of Seaver, beat the Dodgers by six and a half games. Tommy Lasardo won the World Series with no wild card and won the World Series, didn't win nothing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was 81. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the next year we go to spring training, 82, that's when we... We got Ozzy. And that was something of, I was at the manager's meeting in Atlanta. And every year the managers that are under contract have a luncheon at the winter meetings. And McKeon and Dick Williams, who was a very good friend of mine, teammate in Baltimore and Kansas City, his player, 
They said, are you still interested in Ozzie Smith or Templeton deal? And I fell, damn near fell off the chair. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I said, by all means. And the next thing you know, no, no, uh, Mrs. Crock is mad. And, and she told her son-in-law, who was the CEO, the Crocks are the McDonald people, that they get rid of Ozzy. Because during the strike, the 58-year-old strike, they strike in 81. Ozzy was their gardener. They paid him 200 bucks a week to make ends meet. He was only making the, the rookie salary at the time, which was about 30000 Ooh, boy. So anyway, I made the deal. Shook hands, made the deal. Then I find out McKeon says, one thing I got to tell you, Ozzy has a no-trade contract. I said, what do you mean? There's nobody on a one-year contract's got a no-trade contract. He said, well, he's got one. And I said, well, uh, Jack, I said, uh, I'll, I'll, let's do it anyway. Let's see what we can do. So um, anyway, on the best plane ride I ever took in my life, <laughs> on December 26th, after the winter meetings, I flew to San Diego. I met with Ozzy and his agent, Ed Gottlieb. He picked me up in a limo. I found out the limo was, a, was a, one of the helpers that worked at Gottlieb's place. And he didn't know where the hell the lights were out or nothing when he took me to the airport. But anyway, that was, <laughs> we went to Gottlieb's house. I met with Ozzy and his wife and Gottlieb and his wife. And I uh, had a few pops. I took them out to dinner. I caught the red, red eye back to St. Louis. But before I left, I said to Ozzy, here's what I'll do. He don't, he don't know I'm going to have to release Templeton. So whatever I get out of him, I'm gravy. If I get a year, that's gravy. I got a year to find me a shortstop. So, so this is something that's really funny. I, I go out there. I go. I get on the red eye, and I said, "Ozzy, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. If you come to St. Louis and play for me, I will give you four hundred thousand dollars next year. At the end of the year, if you don't like me, you don't like St. Louis, and you want, I will give you your release if you so desire." But if you like me and you like St. Louis and you want to stay in St. Louis, I will sign you to a long-term contract. And that's the way he left it. He said, is it okay if I let you know a week or two after New Year's? I said, yeah. On January 7th, I'm in my office, general manager, trying to deal with the agents, trying to sign everybody and so forth. Phone ring. Miss Godley. Ozzy and I forget his first wife's name, but anyway, are coming to St. Louis. That particular day, the phone rang. The chill index was 17 below zero. <laughs> I said, Jesus, there's no way they're going to, Denise was her name, that they're going to come to St. Louis when every time you play the anthem in San Diego at 72 for crying out loud. Well, I go out there. 
I go out there, man, and uh, um, it's just amazing how this all fell in place. I said, I go out to the receptionist out in the lobby of Bush 2 and meet him. They got full-length fur coats on. They got coonskin hats with the tails hanging down, what I call the Daniel Boone hats. And I said, there's no way. So I brought him in my office. I spent about two or three hours with him. And then I called Bob Forsh. And I said, Bobby, I need a favor. And I told him the story. I said, I was in the Easter here. Would you pick him up, you and Molly? Take him to dinner tonight, but take him out to Chesterfield, show him the nice homes that everybody's living. Put him on the red eye, keep track of every nickel you spend, bring it to me, I'll reimburse you tomorrow morning. Okay, he did it. They left. I don't know whether Ozzy's coming to St. Louis or not. A week later, Gottlieb called, and he says, Ozzy's coming to St. Louis. And that's history. Because he's the guy that put the glue. Mm-hmm. And if there was two things we did, getting Souter and getting Ozzy were the things that really put it all together. But it was amazing how the players, the fact that I had Lonnie Smith in left field, Willie came up in uh, when Green got hurt and played hit 340 or something as a rookie. Uh, Henrik had a 21 home runs. He was our leader homer. And uh, well, then her played second grade. Ozzy, my God, I knew he was good, but I didn't realize he was that good. He really was better than I thought he was. I moved Ovi from second over to uh, third, and he played gold golf third base. And the only reason I ever traded Ovi was because I won a daily and Horner got hurt, and they wanted Obi for third base. And I had Pendleton, and I moved him to third base at AAA 50 games before. So when I made did something like that, I could have Pendleton at third, who turned out to be a hell of a player, a most valuable player at Atlanta. So now we're set, and no one picked us to win anything. Everybody thought I was nuts doing what I did and so forth. And we won. The first two have been retired. Gorman has proven, Gorman Thomas has proven to be a tough customer. Suter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals. Porter throws his mask into the air. The players converge around the mound. The police arrive on the scene. The canine patrol and the mounted patrol. Some fans manage to get on the field, but they needn't do that and they won't be out there very long. The Cardinals have won the game six to three. The Cardinals have won the National League pennant and the Cardinals have won the 1982 World Series. And Ozzy, her, I think Suter had 53 saves. It was all-time major league record at the time. Bill Campbell I picked up for nothing from Minnesota. He had the screwball, and they put 
left hand hitters up against him in that damn screwball. He just hit him up. I, you know, <laughs> he, he really was a hell of a middleman. And we had Depp, Kyle Coons Jr., and so forth. But everything just, we never lost three games in a row. And Forshee pitched well. Uh, but the bullpen was lights out. Daily, I didn't get to 84. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got him. But 85, Daly and Horton did a super job. We both won nine games, both saved about 11. They were, Ken, I got, both of them, no matter how I'd use them, short, long, I'd tell them for the game which one I was going to use and stuff. And to go with Suter, you know, Bruce, Bruce was amazing. If we had a Sunday game, and it was in Cardinal Magazine. I had talked about it after Bruce passed away. He'd come to me. And uh, we were off on Monday, not playing until Tuesday night. He'd say, Skip, if you need me in the seventh, I'll close it for you. And he'd do that. <laughs> I didn't use him. But one thing I did, Kyle, and you know being both a starter and a reliever, if you get your closer up, you're going to use him. Yeah. And if you don't use him, when you that inning you got him warming up, he goes in the next inning. You don't ever warm him up without using him, period. That's what made the left-hander so mad at Tony when he <laughs> passed up and then the right-hander hit flying, us yeah. run. But anyway, <laughs> that was his, uh, the best trip I ever made. I'm a, I guess you'd have to say Ozzy and I are still very tight. I go to all everything I can do for him because – he just been a great, great guy, and you know how what a great person he is. Yeah. But he put the glue to the ballpark. When people saw how good he was, and Tommy Herr, in the nine years he played in all three pennant winners here, eighty two, eighty five, eighty seven, never booted a ball in a clutch. And the only time that Ozzy ever made an error. In the nine, eight, eight and a half years he played for me is in candlestick. When he come across on a candlestick, the second, and the ball hit that wind, you know how it used to blow there, and that ball went up in the stands. That's the only time in, in nine years of managing them two guys that they ever booted a ball that cost a ball game. Mm -hmm. That's how good they were. But we could manufacture runs. And every year... Like, well, I'll take 82. We get Milwaukee had a good team. I mean, outstanding. I don't know if we were in the same division if we could have beat Milwaukee. We could have beat Kansas City, and we could have beat Minnesota if we played them in a the division. But I'm not sure that they didn't have a better team, and I'm not too sure if they'd have had fingers that we'd have won the World right. Series. But in the meantime, we finished – with 66 home runs, they're 228. They beat us 11 to nothing the first game. They just run us to death, and they had some good players. I mean, Cooper, Molitor, Gantner, Bando, you know, Ogilvy, uh, the guy in center field that Bruce struck out. And, uh, you know, it, it was, and Cooper was a hell of a ball player at first. And they had some good pitchers, with, but they didn't have fingers. He was hurt. And I still say if they'd have had him, we, uh, they walked a the guy on 3-2 with bases loaded. But 
might have been a National League ball call. Uh, you notice after that, so 85, they didn't have league umpires anymore. Right. I got that straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the meantime, it was history. Of course, Gussie, when I came there, he just wanted to get back to the World Series one more time. He was 87. And we won the World Series. I'm accepting the trophy from Bob Costas and the boy Kuhn. And Gussie says, we're pretty young. We ought to win again next year. <laughs> I said, I thought you only wanted to win one more time. <laughs> but that changes, you know. Yeah. But in the meantime, I, I had such a good relationship with Gussie. And I, had a, I never had to worry. All I had to do was make sure if I made a trade that I'd tell him before it got to the press. That's all. I could do anything I wanted. Never question. Of course, you know, it's just amazing. And then when I look back, we finished 26 games behind the Met in 86 when Clark got hurt in May, didn't play the rest of the year. And Dick Young come to me, how are you going to make up them 26 games? I've already made them up. We're even. And we win. We win by three and a half. We led the league after 108 games. We were leading, not the league, all of baseball would run score with no power. After 108 games, Detroit was second with the DH. That's how we, yeah. Tommy Hurd drove in 108 runs when I moved him into Hernandez with 10 homers. 108 RBIs. And I think Clark got hurt. And I guess I was having breakfast with Jim Cobb. Clark acted like Ty Cobb at Montreal on Labor Day and hurt himself. He was gone. I said, Jim, what are you going to do with Cedeno? Jim Cobb and I were teammates in 1956 <laughs> at Washington. And I'm having breakfast with him in the hotel. And I, he said, well, we had our meetings last year. We're going to release him at the end of the year. I said, would you call your general manager and tell him I'm interested in getting Cedeno, and I'll assume his salary for the year. He was making big bucks. It was only a month left. He comes, plays every game the rest of the year, and drives in 27 runs in 31 games, and we win by three and a half. But, boy, that was a fun time. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I, I turned the general manager's job over to my assistant uh, on 82 opening day. And I figured then I'll never need an agent because I flew out to Arizona. Gussie had a, a winter home in Florida and a winter home in Arizona. He was raising horses in Arizona. He wanted me to come out. He tore up my contract. But he never remembered what I did when I f went out to Grants Farm one day when I seen Sussman was in New York talking to people, and I was sitting having dinner at the mansion house with Mary Lou. And I said, you know, Mary Lou, if he signs some of these guys to be the GM, I'm going to be fired by June. And I said, what would you say if I'd go out and offer, tell Gussie I'll take both jobs? And she said, well, why don't you go out and talk to him? So I went out, 
Rand's farm. And I said, Gussie, I, I got a deal for you. I will do both jobs and not charge you any more money. But when I get everything in place, I can take the job I want. I can either be the general manager or the manager and so forth. But I get the choice. Damn right, he said. <laughs> Excuse my language. But anyway, that's, a, that's, a, that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. And um, it, was, it was amazing. I, he signed me to a new three-year contract with a $75,000 raise for take to one job instead of two. But he never forgot that I did that job for him for two years and never charged him a nickel more. When I would go out to Grant's farm... He would not let me talk baseball with him until the Burry people were not there. That's, that went on for 10 years. Mm. I was kind of in the middle. What the hell was I going to do? Mm -hmm. And he'd say, don't tell them nothing. When they leave, you and I will talk. Well, <laughs> they'd leave at 1, 1.30. We'd, he'd have a 16-ounce uh what is it called? Oh, uh, not, not vodka, the other one. Gin on the rocks. Bullets, he called it. Have a bullet. Oh, gee. <laughs> Boy, he was happy, and he knew I was honest with him. Yeah. And I never, ever, you know, I, I remember when the first, I was first come here about a month, and uh, they had a director's meeting. All the directors from Anheuser-Busch throughout the world came here for a meeting. And Sussman and Margaret wanted to write a speech for me. And I refused. I said, no. If they want to grill me, they want to ask me anything, I want to answer all the questions as honest as I can off the cuff. Just like that. No, you better have a... I'm not taking any notes from Mr. Sussman or from you, Margaret. I'm going to go there and I'm going to answer August the fourth questions, and I told him, I answered everything, just like I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. And when I got done, he got up and he said, "Young man," he said, "I think you know what you're talking about." Once he said that, I was in. But in the meantime, just think about this. They let Souter get away because he wouldn't give a partial no trade. Bruce Souter came to me in 84 and it would, would sign for 7500000 2.5 a year, if I would give him 10 of the 24 clubs no trade and let me pick the 10 clubs. Well, I can pick 10 clubs that don't want him, don't need him, or can't afford him. It ain't going to cost us. I can still trade him if I want to, but he wouldn't do it. So he's gone. Then Clark comes here. We win two pennants in three years. Clark wants $2 million a year. Maxie negotiates the contract. I told Clark the last day of the season, if you have trouble, call me. I'll take you out to Grant's Farm and get you signed. He didn't do it. He got mad because in negotiations, Maxie told him it was a one-position ball, ball player, and that made him mad, and he went to the Yankees. There's two gone. They didn't re-sign Porter. 
I managed Porter eight years. I won six division titles, three pennants, two pennants. I didn't win. He wasn't there in 77. Two pennants, but six division titles. But in the meantime, we set four tennis records in, in Kansas City and seven of the tennis records in here. Eleven times my team broke their tennis record. No other manager, and I'm not blowing smoke because they just start coming back to see the Cardinals play. But 11 times we broke the tennis record. And no one other manager in history has done it seven times. Mm -hmm. I felt pretty good about mm -hmm. that. And I enjoyed my time here so much, Kyle. And even today, I'm 91. I go to the bank, the gas station, the grocery store. People come up to me and want to shake my hand and thank me for 10 years of exciting baseball. You know, well, 10 singles, we can entertain people. Man, we could play. You know, but 10, if we didn't get 10 singles, we were pretty dull because <laughs> in the 85 World Series, uh, you know, the Kansas City starting pitching just shut us down. And uh, we only scored 11 runs, and we could have won in six games if we hadn't been for the Anchors' call. In the meantime, we, we ended up losing, and then, of course, we had to play in the Homer Dome. And we, that's the greatest home field advantage I've ever seen a team have. You couldn't see, you couldn't hear. Uh, they put the blowers on when they hit where the wind was blowing out. And when we played them three games here, how we just stuck the bat up their rears. You know, we beat, beat them easy. But we could have played there until Easter and never won the game. Yeah. Mm. But that's part of the managing. We took them to the seventh game. Mm -hmm. And then the Burry, somebody from the Burry said at the dinner that night over here by the, the arch, I hope we do better next year. And I said, well, we only got to win one more game. You know, that's how much gratitude they had. It wasn't the fact that we were f picked to finish last. I was the first guy supposed to be fired after we lost Suter and didn't replace him. We never pissed the game away mm -hmm. from the two weeks of the season. I had uh, the guy I got from the mess for Hernandez. Oh, that was the other guy I had to get rid of, Hernandez. And I had to send him to the Mets because no, I had to get rid of him by Saturday. Nobody else would bid on him. And I had to send him to the Mets. And I got to, I, re, I really get along good with Keith, but he knew that I protected him. I kept my mouth shut. And that was it. I looked like the dumbest guy in the world. <laughs> and it was stupid. But that's three ball players we got rid of and got nothing for. Mm -hmm. And then. I opened up the season. I had that kid. It was a mess closer. The hell was his name? And the first day, he threw up a home run in the ninth inning to Carter. We lost that. Uh, the next day, he balked in the winning run. And we come home, and he walked in the winning run in the 15th inning. And we got home. So I said, I've seen enough of that. So that was made the chance when I went to the committee. And I just called my players in. I said, we have no closer. But we're going to get 40 saves out of the bullpen. 
I don't give a damn. Who gets them? Don't feel bad if you don't get them. If I take one away with two outs of the night, we're going to get them. We never lost the game from the 10th game of the season after we had a lead in the seventh inning till the sixth game of the World Series. Hmm. That's how good they pitched. Lottie had 19 saves. He led. And the other guys all had 10 or 11. But, geez. Lottie, he'd come in, now listen to this, I got him for Terry. And I said, hyper, you talk about a hyper guy. Holy <laughs> moly, you saw. I told him he's going to start. I come to the clubhouse at 2 o'clock. There's Lottie on the start that night throwing the ball against the wall. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, man, he's firing a damn ball against the brick. <laughs> I said, Jeff, what are you doing? Oh, he said, I'm worn down a little bit. He said, I get <laughs> nervous when I... I said, okay. And so I'm in the dugout talking to uh, the players right before the game. Half hour before the game, there comes Jeff. Out of the clubhouse, goes down. I said, where are you going? I'm going down to warm up. I said, you got 40 minutes. Oh, he said, I want to get a little loose first. He said, I said, well, don't throw it out all the way. Within three pitches, I can hear the damn catcher's glove pounding. <laughs> I called down there. I said, Rick, what is he doing? Oh, he says, that's Lottie. So he comes out to start the game, and he ain't got nothing. He, <laughs> so I, I meet him, and I go out. I said, well, Jeff, I just want to tell you, that's the last game you're ever going to start for me. <laughs> You're gonna be, you just became a relief pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, he got 19 saves. Yeah. And 18 times I brought him in, he got the first hitter out 17 times. That's big. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest that people don't realize. The first guy out of the bullpen to get that first hitter up. But we had some guys, and the, it was just amazing how. In 85, we had 314 stolen bases. That's crazy. And we're only throwing out 69 times. But for the 10 years I was here, we averaged 270 stolen bases a year and only got thrown out about 64 times a year. Hmm. But, you know, I, we had a game. To tell you, Coleman was the dangest base runner ever since. His, he was not a good hitter. He was not as good offensively as Lonnie Smith. Lonnie Smith was tough, breaking up the double plays. And, yeah, I made him wear a helmet in the outfield. But, <laughs> but he hustled and so forth. But in the meantime, you know, he was really a good offensive player. And he'd take them second baseman and shortstops out. But Coleman... Lou Brock stole 119 bases and only stole third twice. Mm -hmm. Coleman, when he stole 109 four years in a row, one year he stole third base 27 out of 30. I said, Vince, how do you do that? He said, Whitey, I can steal third base on a left-hand pitcher anytime I want. That's what he told me, and he could. Damn it, Sam, Lou never stole third. If Lou could have done what Coleman done, or if Coleman could have hit like Lou Brock, 
They had set some records. <laughs> but here's the deal. We worked on getting the jump off the third. We got so good at it, even in Kansas City. That's in spring training, every time we run the bases, we stayed at third and got a walking lead, learned how to hit that right foot. Gene Mock was managing Minnesota. And he, he and I didn't have a good relationship, but baseball relationship, he came to me one day. He said, you know, I've been watching your teams. And he said, how comes your teams get from third to home faster than everybody else? I said, we work at it just like that. That's all I told him. But we could do it. Mm -hmm. And if an infielder was playing in, we always had the contact play on because we got so good. If he had to go one step to his left, he could not get him at home if you got the right jump. And the other thing that people don't realize, if we did it with one out and we were out at home ship, we stole second anyway. Yeah, right. We didn't have a bunch of damn clunkers that now we're on first and two outs. <laughs> so we did it every time. Yeah. We, so, had, we played different. Nobody knew that we were playing different. Yeah. So, Whitey, the, the question you probably get the most is the 85 World Series. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Deckinger and, and the, the 85 call? Well, I know Dankinger from the American League, and he was a better-than-every jump bar, a nice guy. I don't think he ever kicked me out of a game in the five years, six years I was at Kansas City. But in the meantime, in, in those days, you couldn't hide a bad umpire. And I think we were getting into a situation it was like almost like our federal politics. We were bipartisan. And um, I, I, I think that we were seeing it more and more in the World Series, and now they were starting longer playoffs and interleague play. And I told Uberoth, who was after the Dankinger call, I said, you better have major league umpires because this, they're only human. We won the first two games. I said, I hope you get the game three out where Hagen can shut us out. I said, Pete, I said, Pete Uberoth was, I said, Saber Hagen's a good pitcher, but his strike zone was this by this, and Joaquin's was six by six. I want you to watch. I didn't say nothing publicly, but they took that game from us. Barnett was behind the plate, American League umpire. Dankinger, first base. American League, I mean, so anyway, we should have won. But we didn't. And, uh, and uh, you know, and Dankinger did come here for one of my dinners and uh, did a nice job. And I, the year that I got in the Hall of Fame, he said, man, he said, am I glad why he got in? Because I people said I kept him from getting in. You know? mm -hmm. But... Your life changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, uh, I've been probably so fortunate in my life, the, my family and the grandkids, and quit getting out of baseball as a manager when I did. I'd probably be dead, you know, because, you know, I was eating sandwiches and drinking a couple of Budweiser's at 11 o'clock every night, and I'd go home right and would have me a sandwich sitting there. <laughs> uh, and I... All of a sudden, uh, 
I had managed here 10 years and uh, 18 opening days. And uh, things start bothering me a little bit. You know, like getting in at 4 o'clock in the morning and you know yourself. Interleague play just added to more. There's no sense for having interleague play. Takes away from the World Series. Mm -hmm. uh, who needs it? Years ago, there were teams that needed it. Mm -hmm. But Chicago don't need it. New York teams don't need it. Philadelphia don't need it. You don't need it. The L.A. don't need it. And I, I don't care what they say. You know, all these rules now they're going to have in 2023, there isn't one of the commissioner's rules that's going to shorten the game. And unless they start calling strikes. Expand, yeah. And, and <clears throat> the Owen, if they don't call Owen two pitches on the black strikes, <laughs> it's going to continue to be three and a half hard games. Yeah. Because... Pitchers today, I don't know how they stand it. I, I, I watch games. I watch games. I watch West Coast games. Ten times a game, 0-2 on the black, on the corner. They'll never ring them up. Never. And then they go, here's the deal. Here's wrong. In the old days, especially with Atlanta, they got that much of the eyesight corner. Mm -hmm. So Maddox could go out there four inches and be strike three. <laughs> But how comes they only won one World Series? Because the American League umpires didn't give it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, when I managed, we averaged 265 pitches, which was a two-and-a-half-hour game for both teams. 285 to 300 was a three-hour game, and that was generally eight to seven, something like mm -hmm. that. Now every game is 320 to 360. Four games last year, nine innings, 400 pitches. Mm. The game, the Dodger guy hit a home run. One to one, ninth inning, a home run, four hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> now, for a 1-1 one -one game? Because they threw 417 pitches in nine innings. Yep. Here's the difference. The throwers don't worry about inside, outside. The floors only worry about what the hell is the clock say, mm -hmm. the gun say. Mm -hmm. Kill McGrain. McGray at 89, when he let the ball go, had great movement. They couldn't hit his basketball. But when he'd say, what's the clock say? Oh, it says 89. He tried to hump up. Yeah. Hurt his elbow. It was never the same. Because mm -hmm. he lost his movement when he tried to overthrow. And then they hit it. Yeah. But here's the deal. <laughs> On two. Now, here in the old days, it was, we'd try to pitch outside one pitch three inches off the plate. Mm -hmm. The next pitch, we'd try to throw three inches inside, one, one or the other. Mm -hmm. But today, two strikes and a ball, they miss by that far. Now it's two and two. Then they try to pitch to the other side. They miss again by it. They ain't going to swing at those. Now it's three and two. The first pitch in 3-2 to every hitter in baseball is 68% foul mm -hmm. off. So now that's six pitches. So now generally they'll foul off another one, but not all, not 60%. But in the meantime, the announcers will say, oh, what a quality at bat. <laughs> that happens 10 times every night. It could be 7-3. It could be 5-5. Five, five. 
I don't know, it could be for me or against me. But when you go from three pitches where you should have been on the bench to 10, 10 times a night, that's 70 pitches you're throwing. Think about that. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. You cannot shorten the game any other way. I've said it a lot to people that have asked of shortening the games. I said, well, they're expanding the, the size of the bases this that, year. Now, what's that got to do? Well, why don't we expand the size of home plate? That's, why <laughs> don't they just take the black? Or call the strike strikes. And, and, <clears throat> and But just call the outside yeah. corner. That would, that would speed the game up immediately if well, they started would, calling more that's strikes. That's it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Whitey, tell me about your relationship with with Jack Buck. Well, Jack Buck, he took losses harder than I did. Uh, he was the most giving man. He was so good to people, dropping $100 bills like, to ushers, uh, just so good to people. And just a great guy. And But Jack Buck, he was not only a great announcer, he was just a, what would you say? He was in the Battle of the Bulls. He was a great patriot. Man, he loved the United States and the night of 9-11, that mm-hmm. poem that he wrote and stuff. Mm-hmm. But God almighty, I just, I can't say enough good things about it. What a, what a great person he was. And, you know, he came to my 70th birthday party at Borderline of South, and then he went down to march in the parade on Armistice Day. It was uh, November 11th, but uh, my birthday was being celebrated because it was Saturday. My birthday's the ninth. That's the last public appearance he ever made. And yet he was honored at the Missouri Athletic Club as man of the year that year. And he had Parkinson's. And uh, he had a knock at the door. He was watching TV. Come on in. He lets a guy in. It's a Jehovah Witness. And he said, well, come on in, son. He said, I bet you haven't been told to come inside too often. You know, <laughs> he makes you know, a lot of it. Yeah. No. He said, Mr. Buck, he said, uh, would you like to get closer to God? And he said, well, look at me. He said, from the looks of how I look. And he had a Parkinson's. He said, she, don't you think I'm close enough already? <laughs> <laughs> So that's, he told that joke in Missouri Athletic Club. He said, don't you think I'm close enough? <laughs> Jesus. Well, he was a good guy. Uh, well, I, uh, <clears throat> I want to respect your time here. And I, I, have, I hope the listeners uh, understand when I say how good of a storyteller you are and how just, you know, anytime I have the opportunity just to sit down and hear, and I might hear the same story over and over, but just – the way you tell it and being around it is it is such a uh, a privilege and an honor to 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 know you um and what you've done for the cardinals and and the the you are a legend in the cardinals and and will be a legend for such a long time the one thing that amazes me most is when 
your former players are around you. They love you. That is a it is a different. I've seen other managers and um, and their players interact, but there is a different and 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 a lot of that. Can you just ex- talk to that? And then a lot of your players lived, stayed in St. Louis, and lived and raised their families here. Mm-hmm. And 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 all of them say that was a that was a credit to you. Can you just talk about your relationship with all of your players, not just one, but all mm-hmm. of your players mm-hmm. as a whole, and why that was important? Well, you know, I think. I was never, ever good enough to play 150 games. I was a platoon player at best. I had some decent years. I had one year in 61. Uh, I had four pinch homers. American League record was five. Gary Geiger reached over in the bullpen and caught the ball that I hit off of Radix and got uh, I missed tying the record, you know. But I think... The one thing that I did all my life was I treated everybody alike and I made sure I talked individually every day to every player, whether it was Tito Landrum, Jack Clark, Ozzie Smith, or Mike Ramsey. And I tried to make them feel important and maybe tell them two weeks before spring training, look, you two guys, Landrum, Ramsey, I remember one day they were standing running to sprints. I said, whoa, wait a minute. If you two guys want to buy, pay for your apartments in St. Louis, go ahead and send it. You're both on the team. I just want you to know I don't say much about you to the press, but I want you to know you're very important to this ball club. Do you know Ozzie got hurt in 82? We had six doubleheaders in seven gay days and. Ramsey played every inning and then never made an error. Ramsey. And so it was important for you to make sure that those role guys knew yeah. they were valuable. So when yeah. a time like that came, yeah. they were able to step in. That's right. They did a job and, and uh, everybody, you know, I had two left-handed professional uh, pinch hitters in Brownie and Arch. And the one guy in 82 uh, my right-handed pinch hitter, that's why I had to carry Brummer to get him his pension, of course, but the big thing was so I could pinch hit tennis. Mm-hmm. See, that's where, when you got 26-man limit, why don't you carry three catchers? So you can pinch hit the second guy. You don't have to worry, you curtail your, what you can do. And now with the three-pitch rule of the bullpen, and what about this year, two throws to first base? Right, right. Oh. <laughs> Uh, all right, one last question. You grew up here in not far from St. Louis. Right. Did you go to Sportsman's Park? Did you I, did you watch I, games? I used to hitchhike. I lived in New Athens, Illinois. Mm-hmm. I had a good principal. I'd tell him I was going to skip school and go see the Browns or see the Cardinals. I'd hitchhike. The first coal truck would pick me up and take me to Belleville. I'd walk to the bus station for a dime. I'd take the Edgemont bus to St. Louis bus station. Then I'd go out across the street to the Page and get a streetcar out to the Fox, and then I'd get a transfer and take you out to Sportsman's Park. It cost me a dollar, 25 cents for a general admission ticket, but I was a member of the Knothole Gang, and I got in for 55 cents. But during the weekdays, which I would always skip school, I would go in the upper deck. They would have the upper deck, both the Browns and the Cardinals, taped off with rope. 
They didn't sell tickets up there. But I would sneak up there, and I'd stand in one of them axes and watch the foul balls, and I'd get me six balls. <laughs> three I'd put in my pocket. Three I'd sell to the soldiers from Scott Air Force Base for a buck apiece. So now I've spent 77, 75 cents to get in. I could get a hot dog for a dime, and I could get a, a, hot, a Coke for a dime and a hot dog for 15 cents. So I've spent 90 cents. Okay, I've still got $2.10 in my pocket, three balls in my pocket. And the best thing was, I'd take the bus over to Belleville, I'd hitchhike home, the principal would never tell my mom I skipped school. <laughs> and listen to this one. Listen to this one. This is the best one. Not only did he not tell her, the next morning when he knew that I had study hall, there'd be, Mr. Herzog, you're wanted up in the prison, in the principal's office. Everybody thought I was going up there to get my shoot out. I'd walk in the office. He'd say, how did Neuhauser look yesterday? He'd be asking me about the game. Johnny Vogler, I'll never forget him. Boy, he was good to me. He never, ever told me. I used to skip school in maybe five times in the spring. If we didn't have a ball game on Tuesday and Fridays we played, I'd go on Wednesday. And I'd say, Mr. Vogler, I'm going to go see Neuhauser pitch tomorrow. Okay. Well, there you have it. That is Whitey Herzog, one of the best storytellers in baseball and also probably one of the smartest baseball minds in all of baseball as well. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, if you have not listened to any of our podcasts from last year, make sure you subscribe to the Chatters Box and it is available on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts and also on the Cardinals YouTube channel. You can listen or watch all of the podcasts that we did last year. Thanks again for joining and uh, we'll see you guys next month.